Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mindshifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to part one of two of my conversation with Vedan Rayan Vedantam. We'll call him Veda for simplicity. That's what he suggested himself. So I broke this conversation down into two pieces. Firstly, because of the length, it is a bit just a bit over 50 minutes, the whole conversation, but also because there is so much information and practical tips from Veda in this conversation that I thought it might be a bit of an overload for you to listen to that all in one go. So today we'll be talking to the, about the first part uh, of the conversation, which is customer acquisition. And then in the second part, which I'll drop next week, we'll be talking about customer stickiness and also closing down a startup because this is one of the experiences that Veda has had. So a bit shortly about Veda himself. He is a marketing leader at Microsoft working with the startups, both through that work of his and through mentoring startups and advising uh, them in their growth and strategy and also as a visiting professor at various universities in India where he's uh, home-based and uh, abroad. And as you will hear from this conversation, Veda is very used to talking to startups, giving them a lot of value in a very short period of time. And that's why I recommend that you pay attention to the conversation and maybe have some way of taking notes uh, and also refer to the show notes to get the links to the resources that uh, Veda is mentioning in the conversation. So why I call this episode, as Veda suggested, Startup Success Mantras and Banana Skins is because we're taking every part of this conversation and given both success examples, what you should be thinking about, and that's why success mantras. So Veda is giving suggestions on a lot of different rule of thumbs, how you can think, how you can collate different things but also what kind of banana skins you would like to avoid. So where not to slip, how to avoid the mistakes that typically founders do in their startup journey. And today's part about the customer acquisition touches upon paid marketing versus organic growth, where is relevant, uh, each of those relevant. And um, Veda is very strongly uh, opinionated, not opinionated, suggesting the value of organic growth but he also mentions when it is possible to go for the paid marketing and uh, gives a rule of thumb of how many customers you should acquire that way uh, for creating a critical mass for you to test your idea, both for B2C and to B2B. Uh, also, we talk about deciding your number one marketing channels for your content and a lot of other things regarding how to find those first customers of yours and how to grow that customer base when you are starting up. And I'll uh, let you know a bit more about the topics of the next parts next week in the second part of the conversation. So enjoy the conversation, connect with Veda on LinkedIn to follow up the conversation and see you on the other side. 
Vera, warmest welcome to the show that has been long time in the making from my side. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. It's a pleasure connecting and wishing you and your family and the families of all of our viewers a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. Yeah, it's uh, the the episode will go live in a couple of weeks, so it's still going to be January. So happy new year to everyone! I hope you're still staying on on track with your goals uh, and have passed successfully the Quitters Day, the 19th of January. And talking about <laughs> quitting, <laughs> we'll be talking about successes and uh, failures today with uh, Vera about uh, in the startup context, which is the focus of this. Um, this podcast in general. So Veda, explain to us in, in a couple of sentences, why yeah. are we talking about that in general? Yeah, first of all, Anna, thank you so much for having me here on the show. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm absolute, uh, you know, absolutely excited to be here. Uh, a big hello to all of our uh, you know, viewers, wherever you're tuning in from whichever part of the world. Uh, my name is a bit of a long one, Vedanarayanan Vedantham. It's a tongue twister for most people from Europe and the United States. But just call me Veda. As in Darth Vader, for those of you who are Star Wars followers, so you can take inspiration from that last name. Call me Veda, and it's not Vader, but call me Veda. Um, and just to uh, you know, give all of the audiences here a quick introduction of who I am. I'm a marketing leader at Microsoft India. I have led marketing for multiple other startup unicorns in India across health tech, ed tech, uh, fintech. Most recently, I used to uh, take care of the startup business at what is today India's largest B2B payments aggregator called Razorpay. Uh, I also wear a couple of other hats in life. I serve as a visiting professor and adjunct visiting professor in marketing at quite a few top B schools in India, in Singapore and New Zealand. Uh, and I happen to be a marketing mentor working with various startup acceleration programs across the length and breadth of India and a few in Southeast Asia as well. Once again, very excited to be here, Anna. And uh, I've been through multiple learnings myself. And it's an interesting topic that we have in mind, which is on success and failure. What can you learn from success and failure? I genuinely believe that you get to learn a lot more from failure than you do from successes. And I've seen more than my fair share of failures uh, in my life and in my career. And I've learned quite a lot from some of those, uh, which I'd love to pass on to a lot of the entrepreneurs who are going to be listening in today. Like I said, I've been a part of multiple startups across travel tech, health tech, ed tech, fintech, and I've mentored and consulted with multiple other startups as well from multiple different domains. Uh, so I'd love to pass on some of my learnings from all of those uh, experiences. Uh, and uh, just to start the conversation off, Anna, I thought we could focus a little bit on customer acquisition, mm. right? Which is a key problem statement for a lot of startups. Right? If you're a young entrepreneur or if you're an entrepreneur running an early stage company, one of the biggest things you're concerned about is how do I acquire new customers? How do I make my company grow? That's one of the biggest questions in your mind. And, uh, it, you know, in this pursuit, I've noticed quite a few entrepreneurs making a few mistakes, um, mm -hmm. And uh, one of the biggest ones is, which I've noticed, which I've noticed firsthand, and this is not just restricted to Indian entrepreneurs. I've had the opportunity to speak to entrepreneurs from Iceland as well. If you remember, we had done that session for a bunch of Icelandic entrepreneurs a couple of years ago. And uh, one of the consistent uh, common denominators, if you will, which is, you know, in terms of the mistakes that a lot of young entrepreneurs make is in terms of over-reliance from a digital perspective. If you're looking to build a digital business, is an over-reliance on performance marketing, uh, paid advertising and not focusing enough on the power of content and growing your business organically by focusing on search engine optimization. If you're building a web-based business or app store optimization, if you're building an app-based business. And uh, I've seen multiple companies go down this rabbit hole of getting onto the bandwagon of paid marketing too soon, which ends up becoming a problem. And uh, I've noticed a couple of, and every single interaction that I have with startups in India, I talk to, talk to them about a couple of examples of Indian brands which actually made it really big without spending anything 
on marketing. The marketing budget, monthly marketing budget was literally zero every single month. And despite which they managed to carve out a niche for themselves. And uh, before I get into the actual examples itself, I want to reiterate, if you want to go down the path of SEO, a couple of critical, I want to give you a couple of suggestions of brand names, which I would recommend as being critical elements of your early stage startups digital marketing toolkit, uh, which is an SEO analytics platform, uh, which does keyword research, which does analytics. I'm going to give you a couple of examples and references. One is this company called SCM Rush, which I'm sure all of you, a lot of you might have heard of, very popular brand worldwide. The other company is SEO Moz, uh, Simrush and SEO Moz. Both of these are fantastic companies. Another recommendation I can provide is Ahrefs. All of these are SEO analytics platforms, which essentially crawl your website and give you recommendations. Anna, you need to create content on these keywords. They give you all of that recommendation. And uh, what they also do is they give you suggestions on, on every keyword that they actually recommend. Let's say you're building a business. Let's say, Anna, you're building a business around digital wellness. Right. Let's say you're building a business on mental wellness, for example. That's the entire topic that you're focused on. It will give you a bunch of different keyword suggestions and it will give you two very important nuggets of wisdom. It will tell you what is the kind of keyword search volume or is this keyword in high demand, low or medium demand, which essentially is a surrogate for market potential. What are the key need states that your customers have? What is it that they're actually searching for? It's the cheapest and fastest market research out there. And the second one is... It also gives you a sense of ranking difficulty. How easy or difficult is it for you to actually rank for these keywords? Usually, what would happen for a young startup is if they're going after a high demand keyword, you would usually see a well-entrenched competitor who's already ranking on page one for those keywords. So it's next to impossible for them to rank on page one via, you know, as part of the organic search ranking algorithm, uh, you know, as part of their SEO effort. So they try to get there, they get demotivated and ranking on page two, like, you know, on Google is as good as not ranking. Nobody goes to page two, right? So uh, so it's very important for an early stage startup to not just go after the high demand keywords where the ranking difficulty in all likelihood would be extremely high, but to go after the medium, uh, you know, medium demand keywords and the ones which are low on demand, but the ranking difficulty is fairly low, which essentially is the long tail. And having said this context, now I want to dive into the couple of success stories that I had in mind of Indian brands that have really carved a niche for themselves just by focusing on the power of SEO and content without spending anything on marketing. The first example is this company called Thrillophilia. It's got a pretty exciting name. It's a it's a fairly popular Indian travel tech company. It used to run completely on just the founder's money, bootstrapped completely, still is bootstrapped. It had not raised a dollar in VC funding, venture capital funding. And uh, like all of you would recognize, like in other parts of the world, travel tech is an extremely competitive space. You've got global multinationals like Booking.com, the iBibo Group, etc. coming in, competing with local homegrown brands, which have very deep pockets, who've raised tons of VC funds, right? You've got Oyo Rooms, you've got Clear Trip, Make My Trip. These are some of the popular Indian brands. Make My Trip is, in fact, a publicly listed company in the NASDAQ. And uh, all of these are multi-billion dollar valuation. They bring tons of you know VC money against all of these people. Here was this company completely bootstrapped, which used to hold its own when it came to organic ranking. Their marketing budget for the longest time was zero and they had no money to spend, right? So literally SEO was the only thing they did. And uh, what they did was they had a very cool flanking strategy. They were very practical and pragmatic about it. They knew that they weren't big. They knew they weren't T-Rex. Uh, they said that uh, I'm not going to go after the high demand keywords where the ranking difficulty is next to impossible. I'm going to go after the long tail of keywords. But even if the demand is low, the ranking difficulty is still low or it's medium. That gives me a good chance. They would create blog content on 
the whole host of long tail completely offbeat travel locations in india around resorts they didn't focus on resorts they focused on holidays and experiences while everybody else was focused on resorts in a popular hill station those kinds of keywords they went after holidays and experiences in completely unheard of locations and as india's travel segment grew the digital ecosystem grew they grew along with that they they focused on hundreds and thousands of such long tail keywords created content there had the first four advantage and that's how they grew their brand and they did it all with zero spend in marketing just by focusing on seo and creating content leveraging keyword insights from keyword research tools like seo moz and sem rush the second example i want to give you uh, anna and for all of our listeners today is this company called practo which today is india's largest online doctors marketplace let's say anna you are interested in you know you want to find a doctor in delhi new delhi in india you don't know anybody there you're new to the city you can actually find a doctor with good ratings and reviews in the vicinity of the place that you live in that's an option right that's available practo can it's a marketplace that helps you discover such doctors that's one option now you would be amazed to know that practo gets approximately 30 million visits every single month to their website 30 million an overwhelming and a jaw dropping 90% of that traffic is via organic efforts uh, right they don't spend any money right in driving that traffic and that's the amazing thing about practo all of this comes via organic marketing efforts and uh, which is which is amazing and that's because they they've had a first mover advantage when it comes to organic marketing uh, their domain you know has that level of credibility and their uh, seo is so good that let's say anna you're a popular gynecologist in delhi and i'm actually searching for you and you have your own website and uh, from where you collect consultation requests i search for say dr anna in delhi right your listing on practo would actually come up higher than your own website listing and i would end up booking a consultation with you via practo and you would have to share your you know consulting fees to practo mm-hmm. and that's how strong their seo is these guys again they are like i said they are they are a unicorn plus but their marketing spend is next to negligible and both of these are shining examples of the kind of long term scalable businesses that you can actually build just by focusing on the power of content and seo i just wanted to impress upon all of our viewers here just on the strength Uh, of seo and content of course it's not you're not going to see overnight success or failure here right it's, it takes time even the best of the best seo experts in the world the great neil patel who is widely considered to be the world's number one seo expert says that it takes a minimum 6 months for any seo experiment to start bearing fruit uh, and uh, uh, and it takes time like of course there could be you know certain scenarios where as an entrepreneur you need to you know you need to validate product market fitment so you need to yep. you know invest in performance marketing but barring exceptions because you need to know if your idea is working or not right so you need that critical mass of early adopters to come in and you can't wait 6 months uh, which is perfectly understandable but barring exceptions like those where you absolutely need to spend in performance marketing my sincere request to all of the people here is not to spend in performance marketing too early and validate your product market fit assumptions through organic ch- Uh, so I, I want to pause you here, Vida, because you gave a, a lot of information already, and I want to summarize yeah. it a bit. Um, so, first of all, not start too early, but at the same time, how do we stick to the organic growth with the tools that you have mentioned right now? Um, how do we find this product market fit if six months is actually way too long for many startups to find that and to yeah. test and to tweak? So, how can we use the strategy that you have described and gave examples of, with, but at the same time? 
getting some feedback and tweaking on the way during those six months so that we actually can understand um, on time whether we're on the right track or not. Yeah, that's a great question. This is, again, a question that I get a lot from a lot of entrepreneurs because they get impatient. They tell me that, listen, this doesn't work for me. I can't wait that long to start seeing results. Uh, I think one of the things that I often recommend is invest in performance marketing, but invest only enough for you to get that critical mass of leads into the system. So, And then you shut off your performance marketing efforts. Uh, and then you try and see if your product market fitment assumptions and your product, the strength of your product and your value proposition is strong enough to convert those leads who have already entered your funnel. And uh, at least in my experience, I've noticed that the golden number, which is that critical mass of leads is 100 if you're a B2C mm-hmm. brand, if you're in the B2C business and five if you're in high end B2B. Uh, and uh, if you're selling to startups and SMBs again, that's a little bit of a tricky animal because it's not quite B2C, nor is it high end B2B. But the marketing playbooks for you to be successful when you're selling to startups and SMBs, essentially when you're selling to entrepreneurs, where the entrepreneur is your target customer, it's very close to the B2C end of the spectrum. So if you're selling to direct consumers, individuals, or if you're selling to entrepreneurs, I would say 100 leads, get that into the system, invest in performance marketing, yes, get that into the system, uh, and then try to see if your product is good enough to convert, listen to customer feedback, iterate, improve your product. Uh, Of course, if you're in high-end B2B, then what you do is, uh, you know, get five leads into the system, right? As if your product and your sales engine, in all likelihood, if you're high-end B2B, you would not be self-serve. You would be dependent on your sales team to drive conversions. Mm-hmm. If your product is good enough and your sales team is good enough to convert that. Uh, while you, in parallel, you know, keep working on all of the things that I just said, you know, invest in the keyword analytics tool, invest in a content strategy to make sure that you're able to rank uh, on, on keywords where, you know, where even if the demand is not very high, the ranking difficulty is medium or low. Hey, Genius Leader, a quick note from me here to remind you that Genius Leadership Podcast just celebrated its second birthday on January 13th, and I do want to celebrate that with you. So please share your favorite episode, subscribe to the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and with, for all of those things, you will be entering the draw of the prizes that I have announced on our birthday episode last Friday, or two weeks ago on Friday. And I really want to share my gratitude with you and send those presents to you to the address that you'll let me know about. So do those three things, subscribe, leave a review, share your favorite episodes and takeaways. Let me know about that by sending the screenshots and let's celebrate together. I want to also pose a question here. You're talking a lot about Google uh driving traffic to our products and services and so on. But how about the social media? Right now, a lot of brands are building that instead of working on SEO. So what, yeah. what's your take on that? So that's a great question again. And one of the questions that I get, that I get asked by a lot of entrepreneurs is this. They tell me that, Veda, listen, I'm not Amazon. I don't have a war chest of funds. I don't have a large team. And I recognize that marketing is a team sport. The One of the popular analogies that I use is football. Right? Football analogy where... You, one person passes the ball to the other, the other person passes the ball to one other person, the, the defender passes it to the midfielder, midfielder passes it to the attacker who scores the goal. In a very similar fashion, you've got Facebook, you've got SEO, you've got email marketing, all of these working together as a team to drive that eventual conversion, that customer acquisition. All of them make a part. So as, as a customer, Anna, you see, a, you see an ad on Facebook, you see an ad on Google, you see an ad on YouTube, uh, you see an email, and then you eventually convert. Right? All of these have played a part in convincing you. But what I often hear is 
I'm not Amazon. I'm not a multinational company. I've got a small team. I've got limited budgets. Now, if I had to prioritize, uh, you know, one channel, mm-hmm. right? How would I do that? How do I go about deciding what for my business, for my business category, for my business context, what needs to be my number one priority? Of course, I need to do a combination of everything. But what needs yeah. to be my priority? Should I focus on Google SEO? Should I focus on social media? And here again, I've got a simple framework which can help uh, you know a lot of entrepreneurs navigate these kinds of decisions and questions. The first question you ask yourself, let's say Anna, let's let's uh, you know let's use you as a as an example. Let's say Anna, you're an entrepreneur uh, and you want to navigate this. What you tell me is, Veda, I understand Facebook, I know Google, I know SEO, uh, I know LinkedIn, but I want to know how to prioritize. How do you you know how can I, how can you help me decide? So the first thing you need to do, Anna, is ask yourself a question, a fundamental question. Are you operating in a mass category? Or are you operating in a niche category? Mm. Are you a you know a large fish which in a small pond which makes you niche, or are you a small fish in a really large pond? And uh, there are a couple of ways in which you can answer this question. First is Anna, as an entrepreneur, you have this gut-based instinct that tells you, you know what, I sell T-shirts online, I must. I conduct mental wellness classes online, and possibly niche. Right, that's one way. The second way is you need a more data-backed way to either validate or challenge this original hypothesis. Right, which is where you open up the Google AdWords platform. All of you can sign up for free on AdWords at Google.com. Within which there is this very cool tool called as the Keyword Planner, which is available for free. Right, where you can enter any keyword which is relevant for your category, Anna. Which is say buy T-shirts online as an example. Let's say you're in the, you're selling T-shirts online or mental wellness classes online. Let's say you're conducting mental wellness classes, and that we can give you a sense of what is the kind of keyword search volume in your target market. Now, uh, let's say your target market is India. For example, right, and uh, or say Southeast Asia or Europe, whatever is your target market, mm. you can get a sense of how many people are actually searching for these core keywords in your target geography. Now, this is pretty cool because, like I said, this is like a great index of demand patterns, right? It gives you a sense of, it gives you a clear sense of the pulse of your prospects. What exactly are people searching for, right? Now, this is not a perfect science; it is a grayscale. But if the monthly keyword search volumes, if your target market is all of Europe, for example, which has the kind of internet population size that it does have, or the all of United States, if your monthly keyword search volumes are in excess of twenty-five thousand searches every single month, you can assume that the category you're operating in to be fairly mass. If it's mm-hmm. less than that, you assume it to be niche. Now, what do you do if you're mass, Anna? That's your next logical question. You make Google a combination of search engine optimization and SEM, search engine marketing, a focus. Google search becomes a focus. Why? Because it's common sense. There is this age-old saying that you need to be where your customers are. In this case, Anna, you're lucky enough to find yourself operating in a category where you haven't really done anything, but somebody else has done the hard work for you mm. and got the keyword search volumes to already manifest on Google really search. Yeah. All those user behaviors are manifesting. Now, you may not be Amazon who can pump in hundreds of millions of dollars to create new user behavior. But what you can very well do is to piggyback on existing user behavior patterns which are already manifesting on Google search. So you make Google search a priority. Now, what happens if you're not that lucky, right? Let's say that um, you're not in a mass category. Your keyword search volumes are lower than that. You don't directly run to Facebook. You ask yourself an additional question: Am I operating in a category which is high on emotional connect, which is high on personal connect that I can actually drive with my customers? That's the second question that you ask yourself. Now, uh, if the answer to that is yes, you make Facebook a focus. For example, uh, I used to take care of marketing for a company called Healthify Me, which is India's largest health and fitness mobile application. Some of you might have heard of My Fitness Pal, 
which is mm-hmm. the global leader when it comes to health and fitness, calorie counting services, weight loss plans, etc. It's a freemium app. It's a, it's an Indian version and a Southeast Asian version of my fitness pal. That's what Healthify Me is. Over 25 million users, etc., etc. Uh, you know, three, four million monthly actives and so on. Uh, and Healthify Me, when I first joined them, I had a huge culture shock because uh, in all of my previous experiences, it had been always Google search, which was the number one ROI driver. Facebook was more of a glorified social media. Facebook was a glorified brand channel with very limited ROI. Uh, and that attribution was very flaky. But when I joined uh, Healthify Me, it was the other way around. Facebook was the number one ROI driver. And the reason was this, because Healthify Me was enabling people to lose weight, gain muscle, overcome their any lifestyle disorders that they might have, hypertension, diabetes, etc. It was essentially enabling people to discover healthier and fitter versions of themselves. So it's as close to the personal identity of an individual as it can get. And all the communication creatives we use for videos, testimonials, which showed before and after transformations of people. Uh, I lost 10 kilograms. I overcame diabetes, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, all of this check, 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 video, check, high empathy, uh, testimonials, check. All of this works well on Facebook. So proactive health tech, fashion, all of these work well on Facebook because it has a very high personal connect. Of course, Let's say you're not in this category as well. You're extremely unlucky, Anna. You are operating in a niche category, which means you don't have a lot of search volumes, which is scenario three. And to make matters worse, you're operating in a category where naturally the personal connect is not very high. Right? Can you give an uh, example what, of what kind of product or service would that be? Just what I like to call a double whammy category. And to your question, Anna, if I had to think of an example, is the previous company that I was a part of before Microsoft, which was this company called Razorpay, which is a B2B payments aggregator. It essentially is a payment gateway. Who are you selling to? Entrepreneurs. People like yourself, people like the ones who are listening to us on this conversation, on this podcast. Uh, let's face it, an entrepreneur doesn't jump out of bed in the morning, get excited about the fact they want to use a payments product. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not like weight loss solution. So the personal connect is fairly low. Mm-hmm. And it's a B2B payments product. And which means you don't have a lot of people searching for this on Google. So it's like I said, a double whammy category. You don't have enough search volumes in Google. And to make matters worse, the personal connect is not very high naturally, right? You can't take it personally, if you know what I mean, unintended. So what do you do in such cases? So in such cases, what do you do? Uh, uh, you know, at Razorpay, we had this exact same problem. What we decided to do was fine. Search volumes aren't very great. Let me try to create content and get my brand to rank on SEO, on Google's organic search ranking, search rankings for keywords which are slightly neighboring to the immediate realm of relevance of my business. So, let, so let you me would just still go for Google? Uh, yeah. Beta or how? Okay. This was so not like LinkedIn, for example, or anything like that? You, you I'm just, getting, I'm just getting to LinkedIn before I get into that. In this particular case, from an SEO perspective, what we did was, uh, uh, you know, uh, if I were to unpack that, Razorpay is into online payments, not a lot of keyword search volumes, P2P payments, payment gateway, etc. So what, as an entrepreneur, Anna, you're not, there are not too many searches around these particular keywords, which are specific need states that entrepreneurs have. So we focused on slightly neighboring keyword pattern, which was essentially on, we fixated on three themes from our keyword research, A, digital literacy, B, financial literacy, third was compliance. Around digital literacy, we created content around how do I use social media for growing my brand? How do I use digital marketing for growing my business, etc.? Financial literacy, how do I create a PLL and how do I read a PLL in a balance sheet? A lot of entrepreneurs are from a tech background. They don't know how to read profit and loss sheets, uh, right? And profit and loss accounts. Uh, third thing is compliance, right? How do I how do I know if I'm on the right set of compliance or not? Taking into account specific regional nuances. Now, you might question what is the relevance for a lot of these keywords to raise a base business? Not so much. But the relevance for these to the entrepreneur, the target customer is a lot. Because the target customers have these questions. 
And more importantly, the kind of keyword search volumes for these keyword patterns are significantly larger than the keyword search volumes for core B2B payment-centric keywords. So we used to use them as hooks for giving the brand exposure to a larger eyeball universe, getting them in, funneling them, engaging, nurturing them, converting them into paying customers. Of course, a lot of the people coming in through these funnels wouldn't be the ones who would be primed for conversion. But they were still relevant. On, you know, they were still on, they were still the entrepreneur person. I was just catching them at a different point in their life cycle journey. That's what you do if you're extremely unlucky. You find yourself in a double whammy category. If you are selling, if you are in the B2B space, where you are selling to a lot of these are a little more relevant to B2C. But if you are in the B2B space and you're selling to uh, the companies that you sell to, the key decision makers and the influencers in those companies are white collar professionals who are fairly active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn becomes an, you know, an obvious and a logical choice in terms of the marketing channel for you. Like, for example, at Healthify Me, again, we used to do a lot of employee wellness and engagement solutions to a lot of organizations where the CHRO, Chief Human Resource Officer, was a key decision maker. So we used to target, we used to run account-based marketing campaigns on LinkedIn, targeting directors of HR and above, the designation of director of HR and above from the HR function or a CXO. Even if they were outside of HR, because they had the ability to influence decisions because they were senior enough. So these were the personae that we went after. So LinkedIn becomes a logical choice. Of course, LinkedIn is not always, you know, digital itself may not always be the answer. I have mentored and consulted quite a few edtech companies which are selling to schools in India. And at least in India, I don't know what the situation is in Iceland and other parts of Europe. But not a lot of school principals are there on LinkedIn. And uh, of course, so which is why LinkedIn wouldn't necessarily work, even though it's B2B. Uh, you need to know the context of, 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 your, of your market, right, Veda? Um, yes. So... I see that you're passionate and super knowledgeable of the topic, but I would like to go on the next topics because I, I would like to cover them as well, the ones sure. that we discussed. So once we have figured out, and and dear genius leaders, when you're listening to that and you're like, hell, I need I need Vedas knowledge, so please reach out to him. You'll as always have the uh, contacts in the in the show notes. So just to like, then you can get your personalized advice on that. What I would like to go deeper on our next topic is once you have acquired those customers, when you, you see that your product is demanded, what do you do, right? What, what is the important metric there? What do we need to look at as entrepreneurs and, and pay attention to? Yeah, it's a good question. I think one of the key metrics for you to keep in mind is your lifetime value of your customer. Mm. The customer lifetime value becomes a critical metric for you to measure. And uh, the rule of thumb for you to keep in mind is your customer lifetime value to CAC, which is your cost of customer acquisition, which is usually referred to as the golden multiple. That needs to be at least three, at least a minimum of three. For a really healthy business, it needs to be five, which means that for every single customer that I'm acquiring, which is my cost of customer acquisition, new customer that I'm acquiring, and for every dollar that I spend in acquiring every new customer, I'm getting at least $3 in return in terms of lifetime value over a three or a five-year horizon. Now, the calculation of lifetime value is fairly straightforward. Uh, it essentially is on a gross margin basis, after you remove your margins, right? On a gross margin basis, after you remove your costs, for example, mm. uh, on a gross margin basis, how much are you making from that customer over a three or a five-year horizon? So let's say I spent $100 in acquiring Anna, who's my first-time customer, and Anna is continuing to repeat transact with me over a three-year horizon. And after I remove my costs, and let's say my margin is 20%, and Anna has transacted with me for a cumulative amount of $1,000, and my margin is 20%, which means I've made over the four, three years, which means my lifetime value with Anna is $200, 20% off thousand, which is $200. And I spend $100 in acquiring Anna, which means my CLTV CAC multiple is 200 divided by 100, which is two, which is not great, but it needs to get better. For a really healthy business, it needs to be at least three, typically five. 
so that's a key multiple that a lot of businesses need to have in mind, which essentially determines how sticky is your business. Are you able to drive repeat revenues for your business? Veda, I would like to uh, clarify here: why three or five years? So does that depend on the, on your uh, business, the nature of it, and or is that just the golden rule that you use? So that, it is the golden rule, and the reason people recommend three or five years is it typically gives you a decent runway for both the customer. Because mm-hmm. if you if you need to measure, because for a customer, see, let's say you transact would be the first time, Anna. For you to have a thorough understanding of what I have to offer as a brand, you need a minimum of a three-year runway. So if I measure your lifetime value over a shorter duration, then it's just not enough time for me to know if my if my product's value proposition is strong enough mm-hmm. for me to drive enough stickiness and lifetime value. Yeah. If it's way too long, I mean, that again, it ends up becoming a very theoretical exercise and a lot of startups may not even have that kind of historical data available. That's yeah. why we, yeah. we fixated at least three years. Mm-hmm. But if you have enough data available and you've been in the business long enough, you could even look at five-year data. And and if you are a completely new startup and you just have your first clients now this year, so do you take some, yeah, do you take some predictions and forecasts there, Veda, or what yeah. what do you take into that formula? That, that that's a question that I get a lot as well. That people tell me that I don't have three years of data, so how do I know? How can I extrapolate what my CLTV is going to be over a three-year horizon? Because I've been in business for six months. Uh, right, I, I get that a lot. So in such cases, what you do is, uh, if, you, if, you, if you just about started, you know, still validating product market fit. One rule of thumb for you to have in mind is make sure that your marketing spend doesn't exceed twenty five to thirty percent of whatever revenue you're making. Mm-hmm. That's another quick rule of thumb. It's not scientific, but I've noticed that that is something mm-hmm. which works. Which essentially means that whatever is your revenue, whatever is the average selling price that you have for a product, your CAC should not be more than twenty five thirty percent. If your average selling price is hundred dollars. Uh, make sure that you're not spending more than $25, $30 per customer. Uh, you know, that's a rule of thumb for you to have in mind. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others, and it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.